Hello and welcome to our podcast today. We're starting with a topic that naturally came up when we were hanging around the kitchen table and we're going to see where it goes from there. So that topic was the topic of perfection and I think um, I was feeling a little bit sad about the idea of, you know, sometimes the lack of perfection or the idea that things had to be perfect or what even was perfect. And that got us talking about what even what even is perfect and where did this idea come from that things have to be perfect or even can be perfect. Um, and started talking a little bit about, you know, polarities that exist in, in the world. You know, one polarity being the extreme of one end of something and then the bipolar, the opposite end of it being the opposite extreme. So an example of that would be like love or hate, hot or cold, good or bad, summer, winter, night, day, you get the idea. And how the existence of those polarities here on earth kind of prevents perfection from ever existing um, in the way that we've been taught that perfection is. Yeah, because if something is perfect, following that logic, it is also imperfect. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, uh, this idea of perfect also being imperfect, I felt myself get kind of like a knot in the stomach, like, okay, well then what's imperfect? What does imperfect mean? And kind of coming to the realization that defining something by its polar opposite still for me, leaves it undefined. It's still just defining the opposite. And what I've been learning to, trying to learn to explore is navigating this space in between those two opposites and and what, what occurs and lives and exists there, um, helping to give me some kind of understanding of the poles on each end. And I think what we're seeing in our society and what I see in my life and how those two things affect each other is a tendency to want to be on either end of the pole, to flip and shift from pole to pole, and difficulty walking that space in between because it is undefined. It's kind of like uncharted territory that nobody talks about, uh, at least in a way that that makes sense to me. Yeah. And typically when you get into that kind of conversation about whether it's a, I don't know, another person or yourself, oftentimes it feels easier to define it in terms of one of its polarities, either or. Mm -hmm. Everything is this or that. It's good or bad. And what I've been working on and Shiley, you've been also working on and talking a lot about is how do you incorporate and so that you can give voice to both of the things that must exist for anything to exist. For something to be good, it also has to be bad. Because without bad, good doesn't exist. There's no reflection. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's something that I understand. 
And then it's helpful for me to try to find examples of that, you know, mm-hmm. like, like it's, it's in a philosophical land. That's something I've been chewing on for years, you know, starting with yoga and the Tao and other spiritual disciplines and in my own life is like, okay, so we live in a world of, of polarities. And then we also live in this sort of esoteric new age spiritual world where all is one and nothing is outside of itself that that great one um is all of it's part of that one and the question that kind of gets mulled over and wrestled over is well is everything one or are there these sort of polarities and the answer again coming back to each time over and over is well it's both it's and Mm -hmm. which is totally fine uh, when we have it as a logical concept up in the head you know we can hold that space of oh yes it is it's all the things but then for me, that is like sort of like out there rather than in here, inside. So looking at, um, I guess, like my own life and the areas where I'm trying to figure out how to be in between the poles, in between mm-hmm. the two spaces, right? Like, and, is, and are both poles allowed at the same time? Can I be both? Um, like, for example... You know, the kind of like comical, silly one that some of our teachers use as an example. One in particular is she says, well, in order to love my husband, I also have to hate him. And if anybody says that they love their husband but refuses to acknowledge that they sometimes hate them, then they're not living in necessarily, you know, the space of knowing love. Mm -hmm. If you're unwilling to know the opposite. Or to be with the opposite. So it's kind of like a, a silly one that I think most people who are in relationships can, or have been in relationships can relate to is like that intense love and then that intense also, ah, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. feeling. And then apathy or no feeling being, you know, a, a different, po- it's not part of that polarity. Like on one side is love, the other side is hate. And, you know, this idea is if you're only willing to spend time on one extreme side, on one pole, then life will somehow find a way to bring you to the other pole Mm. because life is seeking balance. And so this fear of being on the opposite pole that we've judged as maybe bad or undesirable um, actually brings about life circumstances which force us to engage in it instead of making the conscious choice to explore the terrain in between the two poles and to be with them as life presents them to us and that makes me think about this idea of perfection and like what what even is perfect Mm -hmm. and how did that idea in our society come about that there's a perfect partner or a perfect friend a perfect job perfect way to eat a perfect home perfect life that all people should strive towards Mm -hmm. where does that come from yeah that's a good question and i don't think You know, I have the ability to identify where that comes from. However, you do see it in a lot of places. And you do see how, where it is it came from is perpetuated in everyday life. You know, you see it growing up in movies and on TV. People striving for ideal this, perfect that. Um, you see it a lot in relationships. Uh, People are looking for the perfect partner. And 
you know, from my experience, whenever we are seeking a perfect other and project that perfectness, that perfection upon somebody, there's this sense of unease about it all. Um, you know, you've talked about people projecting on you and I've experienced that as well. I've definitely experienced projecting perfection upon somebody else. And it's, it's kind of repulsive in that it repels the person further away or you from the person projecting upon you. And I've always wondered, well, why exactly is that? Um, it's not something that's very easily talked about or put into words. However, it's something that is very commonly felt. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it has to do with, well, the sense that if someone's projecting their perfection on to me, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to live up to someone else's idea of perfect. And if all the perfection is then placed upon me, what does that person have to look inside of them that they're not wanting to look at? Because something outside of them is holding it all. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot because we know that we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. And the person projecting also knows that that person's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And there's this fear that if I do something that is not in line with that projection, it falls and then we're left kind of at a new beginning. Where are we now? Mm -hmm. And when you say all that, I start, you know, feeling the truth of it in my body and feeling, can recall a lot of experiences where both negative, quote unquote, negative and positive idealizing and demonizing projections have landed on me in the line of work I do and just in life in general and in the past my own um, you know there's something that I would get out of having that projection on me right it, when it's in the idealization phase and someone's ideal of perfect is being projected on me I get to be the perfect thing right that yeah. feels good it does feel good um, and so there was a part of me that that liked that. There's a part of me that kind of got off on the idea of being the perfect thing to someone, being all of their answers or the, the thing they've been searching for. And as I went further and deeper on my journey, you know, in the last years it was of, of knowing myself, it was really clear to me that that was coming from a place of um, not really knowing who I was. And so I could sort of be a blank canvas at times for people to project their stuff onto whether it was I was their villain and I've had some like crazy ridiculous things said about me that don't even touch the realm of truth um, and in those times I kind of stayed quiet because I didn't know what to do with it and then in other times I had idealized versions of myself projected on me that didn't even touch the truth of who I was they were way better and bigger and more idealized than I was and I also stayed quiet because I didn't know what to do with it 
And then in the end, I ended up feeling, in, in whether it's sort of positive or negative, I end up feeling unseen and it feels really empty and lonely. Mm-hmm. And that's like one of the main things that I see happening right now. Not just, it's happening with women and, and women, we, we talk a lot about it in circles of women, of like, what's it like to have all of these ideals of the way you should be and these sort of Eurocentric standards of beauty placed on you and and whatnot and I know but I know in these other ways it happens for men right there's these ways that we should be but what I'm seeing a lot of is like social media is this like breeding ground which most people recognize as a place that isn't helpful for them it's mm-hmm. most people are like yeah I hate it it's not helpful I really meet someone that's like oh I just I freaking love Facebook it's so <laughs> so good it's so helpful my favorite way to spend time. Right. I, I love those perfect Instagram shots on Lake Louise where there's no one around and someone's wearing the new um, fall REI line or Patagonia line. Mm-hmm. They look so clean and, you know, they look so good. How come I don't camp like that? How come I don't hike like that? How come I don't take pictures like that? Mm-hmm. And wait, and then you go to Lake Louise and there's... 850 tour buses bussing people in and everyone's in a line to get that one that one picture right that one shot and they don't show you the um getting up at five in the morning waiting in a parking lot to catch a bus then getting off the bus and getting into another line to get onto another bus to then get to the crowded lake shore that looks more like a like a beach in South America than it does a mountain lake in Alberta, Canada. Yeah, you don't see that part, and um, and I don't even want to talk about the lakes here on this podcast where it's not crowded and nobody goes there because I don't want everyone to go there. Not that you know the seven people that listen to us wouldn't already be able to know where to go, but. You've probably taken them to those lakes already. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you see, I, I see this thing right on social media, and it's this idealized version. And what's interesting is that, you know, um, nobody really seems to want to take responsibility for how trapped they feel in it. Um, nobody really wants to to see how they're responsible for creating and cultivating their own image and and perpetuating this ideal or this perfectionism um it's easier to blame them whoever them are right all the pressures and i I know we could go down a road talking about you know who them are who they are who the pressures that be that create these standards are or why we feel we have to live up to them but i i really haven't yet in my life found a way to do anything about them whoever they are um but i can sort of work with with me and who I am and, and taking responsibility for, for what I'm creating in terms of my willingness to be the thing that project, is projected on or that perfect is placed upon. Mm-hmm. You know, I can take responsibility for my willingness. Uh, but the only way to, that I've found to do that is to start to figure out, okay, well then, who am I? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a tricky journey to figure out who who am I when there's all of these ideas of who I should be or ought to be or how I ought to be um, so, so who am I in in all of that and then just kind of going back to the social media example when you see everything that's so 
manicured and manufactured, the bar is set really, really high. And it can be quite stifling to try to achieve that because it is artificial. It's created. It's um, sort of at its peak, you know, showcase potential. Right. And for me, that is kind of paralyzing and opens the way for a lot of judgment. Because mm -hmm. if it's not up to this certain standard, I'm judging it for not being there. Why can't I live up to that? Why can't I take a picture like that? Why, why is my life not full of travel and abundance and um, this kind of food, that kind of company? And it just really opens the floodgates to my own judgment. And that kind of, it can be helpful to bring things down as mm -hmm. long as it doesn't sink me down into um, collapse. Is that like, like depression and sadness? Depression, sadness, um, apathy, right? Like, oh, I'm never going to go take a picture that beautiful so I probably just shouldn't take any pictures because mine suck in comparison it opens the door for all this comparison and I wonder it's like well why does it have to be compared to anything else why does everything have to live up to this someone else's standard of perfect so if I can kind of come down from the standard of perfection and comparison and get real with what is can allow me to you know express my unique take on something and that's hard and it takes some courage because if you're expressing your unique take on something you can't really compare it to anything else because it's uniquely your perspective it's uniquely your image it's uniquely your um, words that you've strung together and decide to share and it feels more comfortable to kind of fit in right take the same pictures everyone takes to say the same thing everyone says because when it's really well crafted and everyone's kind of doing that feels safer mm -hmm. yeah it does feel safer and then I really resonate with what you said about, I think you said this about like paralyzing and, and making it like, it's like, I'm just not going to because it won't live up to the same comparison. As, you know, it won't compare to however this other person's doing this or that. And when you were saying that, I was sort of feeling this sensation of like, like tightness in my body, like, I'll sometimes have this creative flow and, and creative um, energy coming through me that wants to do something. And then for whatever reason, I'll compare to what somebody else is doing. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I'll see something that I've created, um, recreated, and then I'll feel like a little frozen and paralyzed. Or I'll see something that I'm going to create, created already in some way. Or I'll see something that somebody's doing that's similar to what I'm doing, but with a different take on it. 
and then I'll question the validity of, of the way that I'm seeing it. Or I'll see certain spaces occupied by, you know, a certain uh, group of people more than others, and, and I'll question, do I belong in that space? There's, there's a whole process around it when I look at what's going on out in the world. Um, but what's interesting is so much of what's going on in the world has become confined to our devices and our phones, and so little of it has been combined, confined now to um, actual live, in-person relationship and interactions with people. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think about, like... It's really hard to craft that. Yeah. It's really it's hard to really make really that hard. perfect. Well, and it's just really hard to maintain it in a world where it's easier and easier for people to kind of isolate into into themselves or into their small bubbles or circles or spheres where there's more more comfort or where they're the 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 center of it and you know this idea of of social media like i think about this idea i've been pondering lately which is you know eyes being on a person or eyes being on a person in a time when things are tender for them or vulnerable or, or whatever the case may be there's so much expression now um, on social media uh, documenting all of the aspects of life where in the past those would have been private, tender, intimate times that mm-hmm. people would share with friends and family and loved ones. And there is, I think, something to be said about the energy of consumption of each other. It's like people are consuming each other's experiences the emotions, the highs, the lows, the feelings, the ups, the downs. Like reality TV is, is, as in my perspective, is pretty not very helpful. And it, it's like by consuming somebody else's experience, you don't have to have your own. Yeah, it's sort of this um, vicarious mm-hmm. experience, this vicarious satisfaction. A vicarious feeling, even right. Mm-hmm. And like in our work, we talk about with with people a lot, like where is it that you're able to feel where are you not able to feel and and my own inquiries all around feeling work too and expression of feelings and we find a lot you know there's a lot of numbness in our culture there's a lot Mm -hmm. of not feeling happening because feeling is really hard it's it's in the body it's in the, the tissue and the cells of the body and digesting the experiences we've had the feelings that we've had takes for me, it's a lot of physical effort. It's a lot of concentrated time and energy. And it's just easier to consume somebody else's feeling. Oh, they're, they got married. Oh, they're having a baby. Oh, this person's you know, on this trip. Oh, that looks beautiful. And it's like this false positive where you get a hit of like, ah, and then it's just, ah. And for the person on the other end of it, you know, there's a lot of cultures that believe um, that eyes on you you know in large amounts is an unhealthy thing mm-hmm. and um, I have to wonder if just like you know I've done some work with people who have uh, really large very large social media platforms where they they make income off of it and um, are professionally sponsored and whatnot and it is the bane of their existence it mm-hmm. is the most challenging part of their inner work they don't like it they feel controlled they feel consumed they feel all kinds of things and yet very rarely can can it stop very mm-hmm. e- even if you it's like an addiction even if you know it's not helpful for you it's not fulfilling your serving it keeps on going and so there's i think there's something to be explored about eyes being on someone and the high that that gives you and then you know that places you on one pole 
which is, you know, oh, everybody wants to consume me, yay. And then, you know, if we're not living in that space between the poles, eventually, the, what, what these people have shared with me is that a common theme is they, they struggle with feeling really empty and worthless at the end of it, mm-hmm. which is kind of on the other pole of everybody wants to consume me. This is awesome. You know, like everybody likes what I'm doing. Everybody's responding well to what I'm putting out there. So it's like what's going on for, for us as a culture and what's going on for us, you know, in today's day and age where we have the ability to be instantly connected, but it's creating so much misery, so much demand of perfectionism. And I think I kind of want to explore like the what we sometimes talk about of the sort of energy inside each of us that can manifest, you know, that, that sort of perfectionist energy of I've got to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and what that looks like, and and how it seems to help us, but then also hinders us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that kind of comes to mind when you talk about all this is when you do consume someone's material, whether it's you know videos or um, you know even podcast to an extent you're getting the final version you're getting the edited version you're getting what's ready to be put out there what you're not getting is all the feelings leading up to those people talking what you're not getting is all the time spent crafting a message what you're not getting is all the time spent editing a photo for some people picking out the clothes they choose to wear in their pictures but you're also what you are also not getting is a snapshot of all the people behind the figureheads that make these moments that you're consuming possible Mm -hmm. and that's not terribly glamorous it's not it's not really pretty it's difficult it's um, time-consuming and for me when you know one of my teachers kind of brought this up it actually gave me a lot of comfort it could relax in the fact that you know like for every perfect snippet of oh yeah talking to the microphone for every perfect snippet of information you consume like there's probably five ten times as much non-perfect content that went into it it's just the way in which we consume it makes it seem like it's always going to be like that or all the takes were like that or all of the drafts of that you know article were perfect but we don't really spend much time talking about the iterative side of putting creative work out there um you know taking photographs, writing, um, etc. And for me, that was really, I felt really happy and really warm because it was real and it's true. And it was imperfect. I'm feeling like a a laugh kind of come on. It's like, I wish with the podcast you could see facial expressions. Now I know why people record them too. Because it's like, yeah, you can only hear. But I'm feeling like 
humor in this because you're reminding me of like it's so true and you're reminding me of this new thing that I'm seeing in the last I don't know year or something on social media which is the perfectly imperfect vulnerable post or the perfectly imperfect you know like the highlighting how imperfect I am to reinforce the level of you know, maturity and and integration of all my imperfections that I've come up with. And I've seen this from such a wide range of different things. It's like mm-hmm. it's like my the vulnerability post. I'm so raw and vulnerable asking for or exposing or sharing or and it's just it's another way sometimes, sometimes it's it's probably it's not. I I, I don't wanna, you know, sometimes to me it seems like another way to bolster the image of perfection because mm-hmm. now inside my image of perfection I'm including the fact that I'm super raw and real and vulnerable and I'm not talking about like the actual stickiness of what happens I'm I'm sharing you know or exposing a piece of myself kind of only insofar as it continues to craft the image of my superior perfectionism as as a whole unified individual yeah it's um kind of crafted to borrow one of your words crafted vulnerability Mm. is that really vulnerable it's better than well it's it is vulnerable and it is difficult to share those parts of yourself and when the energy behind it is to kind of fit that into your constellation of examples in which you're perfect, perfectly flawed, perfectly vulnerable, and also perfectly enlightened, it's still kind of the same end. I think what you said about energies behind it is exactly, you know, the sometimes it you, you can feel it. Sometimes someone will share something in their writing or, or, or wherever the medium is, and it's vulnerable, and you feel it, and you're like, oh, Yes, like it is raw and it is vulnerable. And yet when that's the case, you know, it's not usually preempted by like vulnerability post alert or, you know, I've got to get real and vulnerable with you guys or, you know, it's just usually just is vulnerable. So it's the energy that is coming up and through. It's, it's clean. It actually is the vibration of what it that thing is versus the vibration of continuing to reinforce the image of perfection through this craftedness and it's funny the same words the same thing the same post you know I really truly believe can carry an energetic signature it it matters like where did they come from and I think a lot of times it's easy to be blind to where something's coming from is it Mm -hmm. coming from my need to be perceived a certain way is it coming like, why? Why am I sharing this? Why am I writing this? And this isn't to, to try to judge or to, to say don't share or don't be vulnerable. It's just um, considering the energy behind it because, you know, otherwise I think we just continue to dress up this, this sort of monster of perfection in new ways. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. It's mm-hmm. really clever. Mm-hmm. I know I get, I get super turned off when I, when I experience it. And, um, and for the longest time, I couldn't really put my finger on it. I was like, well, this is, this is vulnerable. This is good. This is a good share. And, you know, what, what's going on with me? And I was like, yeah, it is good. And, you know, there's this energy of 
now look how vulnerable I also am. And I, and I just, I think, you know, we owe it to ourselves to, to be, you know, more than just the buzzwords that are going around. Now it's like it's one of the buzzwords on social media. Okay, oh, have you heard of Brene Brown and vulnerability? Yes, 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 that's fine. It's one thing that it's like a, it's an intellectual idea that we can then put out versus I'm going to embody all of the fear that I'm feeling of actually exposing myself right now. Yeah, that's a hard one. <laughs> that's a difficult one. That is a difficult one. Mm-hmm. Like even just do like doing this, for example, is like we got in a big fight before we did it. Mm-hmm. And you started watching football. I got hurt and took it personally. Then I slammed a door. You rat- walked out. Like we, we just went back and forth in a, in a thing. And really underneath all of it, you know, I'm scared. I don't want to sit here and talk on a podcast really very much at all I feel like you know I'll be judged and what I have to say isn't really that valuable I constantly wrestle with the fact that I'm a professional who gives advice and and helps people for a living and don't have a degree in psychology that all my studies are in you know different areas of healing um, with just as much time as a typical degree would have attached to it invested but not of the way that it's typically done and so I get scared oh why who am I to talk about any of this stuff who am Mm -hmm. I to say to share my experiences no one will listen I'll be rejected I'll feel small and insignificant and and you know it's so good for me to do this because it brings me in that in-between territory in the polarity of I'm important and can be helpful and I'm insignificant and small and yeah. just a speck because the truth is this is I'm both yeah it is unique and important and I have my perspective from my lived experience to, sh- to share and I'm a totally insignificant speck and if I have to oscillate between one or the other I could get inflated and I'm super important and I'm worthless and so doing something that makes me feel really scared um, it helps me to live in the in-between because I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to say something wrong. And and that's that's actually really good, I think. It doesn't have to be perfect, even though I really want it to be because I'm not exempt from all these things I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I definitely feel you on that. I'm scared to have a microphone in my face. Like My body literally shakes. I, I like, saw that. No, we don't want to do this. Remember those other times you got in front of a microphone? Remember those other times you spoke in front of people and kind of didn't know what to say and didn't do it perfect? You you can't do it. You you know it's not it's not it's not in your it's not in your bones to do mm-hmm. something like this. And you know, yeah, maybe it's not. And maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> and the fear is also nudges right up against excitement. Mm-hmm. You know, if, and I'm sitting here reminding myself to myself, and I might as well say it out loud, just, you know, fear and excitement are really just a breath away. And if you can just breathe, if I can just breathe and be with what is, be in my body, in the fear of maybe knowing no one listening to this, maybe, you know, what it, whatever it is, maybe this not being helpful and just be with that. It goes a long way mm-hmm. and within that there's a lot of learning because mm-hmm. I'm not 
pigeonholing my way myself into a certain box of either perfect, did it record this perfectly, or oh, collapsing into this is totally imperfect and flawed. You might as well stop this thing and delete it. And it's that in between when you can incorporate and where a lot of the unique beauty that every individual has can come forward. Mm-hmm. And there's beauty in, in imperfection. Absolutely. Not much beauty in perfection. Well, I think there's not much beauty in it because it's not, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Like it, it's an idea. It's, it's nothing. Like, you could go out and see like a sunset and be like, oh, perfection. That's, those are the moments I get. It is like in nature when I'm mm. seeing like just – I had it once um, that exhibit I think is called Bodies. And it's like all the parts of the human body are uh, on display. Like mm-hmm. they use cadavers, something, but it's got like the veins and, and the circulatory system and the skin and the muscles and all the things. And I remember just going like, wow, that is a cool piece of engineering, mm-hmm. the human body. And I, I thought, how perfect and, you know, with nature. But then the truth of it is like it's it's and it's it's perfect. And, you know, nature is also, like, really chaotic and cruel. Mm-hmm. In that moment, there's this essence of beauty in the beautiful sunset that we see that kind of stops stops me and takes my breath away and gives me that awe-inspired moment. And then it's gone. Then it's gone. And there's not going to be another one just like that ever again. No, I, I thought I was thinking about that the other day. Um, I got the opportunity, I don't know, like 13 years ago or something like that to go to this really beautiful island um, in the Caribbean called Palm Island. It's a private island. And I, like the, the, the luck and good fortune of me having the opportunity to see it is like I'll never get to do that again in my life, I don't think. But I was sitting at the end of a dock at sunset and I on the last night and I remember just thinking like oh my god like I don't ever want this moment to end it is so incredibly beautiful the sky was purple and pink and blue and gold and there was a sea turtle and this the beat the water was crystal clear with the reflections all around the sound was white and it was just like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen and then it was gone Mm-hmm. It was just gone, and then I felt sad after it was gone because I hadn't hadn't contemplated yet, like you know, these ideas of letting things be what they are when they are and not being attached to them. But I remember feeling sad after I got home for a long time. You know, I didn't grow up with a bunch of money and travel all around and all the things, and it was the first time I'd ever really seen something spectacular like that and I felt sad for months just like because of the sunset was so perfect and so beautiful and now I couldn't have it anymore Mm -hmm. well I don't think it perfect exists it's just like if we ever get to lay our eyes on it it's it's just gone Mm -hmm. it's gone the only choice you have is to 
well, yeah, there was lots of choices actually, but you know, in moments like that, I was talking to a, this reminds me of a conversation I had with um, an old coach of mine and I was saying how I kind of can't remember beautiful things in nature. Like mm-hmm. I can for a little bit and then they're gone. He's like, well, it sounds like you probably weren't very present when you were experiencing these things. And I was like, well, you know, maybe. Then I thought about it and I experienced some things and really beautiful things kind of like paralyzed me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just observe. I was like, what if you start to just take it in? Let your body remember it. Feel what that feeling is. Because then you can take those beautiful sunsets, that beautiful perfectly lit mountain landscape with you because it's in your body it's in your tissues it's encoded into your being by the feelings that arise while you're there in that moment and ever since he said that i've been really trying to notice when i see something really stunning Noticing how it's kind of leave because it's overwhelming. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm here. We can move on. And instead, just sitting with it, mm-hmm. breathing it in, smelling what, what smells and how do I feel smelling those things? How do I feel with that hue of orange-red cascading over a giant granite mountain? What does that make me feel like? And then... As I do that and experience that more and more, I'm noticing that I can kind of go back to those places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a visual experience. It's a, it's a sensory thing. Yeah, I remember that when we were in Kananaskis, um the summer before we were, when we were, before we were, got married, like in the July um, and there was all those my favorite meadow there and I just wanted to stay for a while and I remember being like almost kind of like angry with you like so you're like Let's, we gotta go it's too much like it's just too much like the beauty and the sensory and everything that was happening I remember you sharing that that it was just like it's so hard to be with it because it's so overwhelming sometimes and I think yeah nature really has that it's so deep and profound in the way that it can touch touch us that it's it's almost hard to be when you get actually in the presence of actual almost like the closest thing that perfection could be you know that is the most pleasing beautiful satisfying you know awe-inspiring moment it's almost hard to stand in its in its presence yeah to not get drawn out to it like you said i think a lot of that had to do with I don't want to experience this level of beauty because I'm afraid I will never experience it again. So then I just won't experience it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of realized you can experience these things and you can save them. Mm-hmm. You'll never go back to that moment again. And you can store them in your body. You can revisit them. You can smell them again. Sometimes, you know, if we're in you know, the mountains in Canada, I smell something. It'll take me back to a really beautiful mountain range that I experienced 
you know, growing up in Washington or one in one of our other trips to the Canadian Rockies. And practicing that more and more has been really helpful in just being with what is mm-hmm. and allowing what is rather than trying to move away from it or kind of collapse into it. Or, or in my case, control it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, this is beautiful. I'll do everything I can to control preserving it for as long as I possibly can, mm-hmm. including going back to life and being sad that I don't have it anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like, speaking of almost perfect, this, this beautiful hawk landed in a tree in the backyard. <laughs> it's kind of like pulling my attention over there because it's like, a sunset and it just it's a hawk in the tree so our beautiful neighborhood harris hawks yeah it's been visiting us since the day we moved in mm-hmm. it's almost a year cool. ago it's, yeah it's really cool i think um what you're talking about with the uh experience of sitting with it that your coach was telling you about and being with the beauty it's like being with it and and allowing it to come to you and you to absorb it is so different than um i think the way he put it to me you know it's like falling all falling out all over it mm-hmm. and letting the, the beautiful moment come to you and be with the cells of your body instead of just yeah kind of falling out of yourself and leaving yourself and going towards something else and if we want to bring that back around to social media that is a lot of what these image and video based social media platforms do at an energetic and emotional level we leave ourselves and go on to the screen go on to the page go on to that landscape and this kind of by nature of the design of how we interact with it it's a picture It can't really consume us or come to us in the way that a fully immersive landscape can or Mm -hmm. a fully, you know, immersive experience with another person can. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily bad. I kind of don't like it that much. I mean... I, I think it can... Like a beautiful painting, beautiful image can bring us to that place and if that's the only place where we get that kind of nourishment from and we can't receive i think that's when it becomes a little problematic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i noticed that like just in on the lines of that falling out of yourself you know the you know your own presence within you leaving you and going out onto something oh there goes the hawk i noticed that um with phones like if you and I are hanging out, I could wake up in bed and you're still asleep and, and we could, I could just be laying there and then you'll stay just cuddled up and asleep. And then if I reach for my phone and go on it, nothing's changed. I'm still, I'm breathing. I'm still right beside you. You will feel it and be, and be like, what are you doing? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And same for with you. Like I could be in another room and you can feel a person leave themselves mm-hmm. and you can feel their presence leave. And in relationships, friendships, anytime where we're needing to be present with other people to cultivate that experience, I think it's 
it's becoming so harmful, you know, like a seemingly harmless, like grab my phone, look at a text or, you know, even like if I'm reading a, a blog or story or something, you know, that I might judge to be better use of my time, um, you can still feel that I'm gone and I can still feel if you're gone. And it's like the presence of the other person checks out. And I think that the, I don't know if it's the inner child or if it's just some aspect of ourselves, uh, you know, that's tender to being left or abandoned or whatever it is, senses that and produces a feeling. And for me, usually it's a feeling of fear, you know, if, if I'm with someone and then all of a sudden they're gone. And I think it's interesting just to sort of think about that a little bit, like how often we're falling out of ourselves onto onto these devices whatever it is that we're consuming on them and then in essence abandoning and or leaving our own body because really you know you being on your phone that it's up to me to feel safe if, if you're in or out of the the environment right it's up to me to source my own safety in my in my body and my own experience but it does give a really big clue to the fact that you know clearly somebody's presence when we're on these devices leaves the body to a degree Mm -hmm. it's a really big clue for that fact and if we're constantly on devices in this way and constantly leaving our body um i think you know it's it's creating a lot of a lot of the symptoms that we're seeing in our society with um you know i mean we could spend hours on what's going on in our society but that engineering whatever it is and whoever they are that are engineering these things that distract us um, and these things that keep us in the pursuit of perfection the pursuit of being able to be consumed or seen in a certain way um, you know it's by design it's not a coincidence that these these things and that that pursuit force us out of our bodies and pull us out of ourselves and you know it's just it's something to really consider because I think that the consequences are pretty profound and mm-hmm. that we're seeing them all around us in, in disease and in sickness in depression and loneliness. Yeah, like all of these feelings that if we could be with them and be in our bodies while we felt them, we would begin to digest and integrate and, and, and just be with them and open ourselves up to a wider range of feelings. But instead, you know, I, you know, you start to feel sad or lonely. You reach for the device to consume something, mm-hmm. and you've abandoned your own loneliness and sadness. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't get better when you leave. No, it's it gets still worse. there when you come back. And it might be bigger even when you come back. Likely. Yeah, I, I know. For me, it's bigger when I come back because then I have to deal with the fact that I left myself again. Mm-hmm. And there's, and then there's like a. a Especially now that I quote unquote know better or you know have more awareness around it, it's like oh man, I caught myself doing it again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't go away. So so finding a way to be with what is instead of trying to control what is and paint it or what should be what should be controlling what is. I, I think that is how you try to how I try to control what is. I it, it's what I'm exploring in my own personal work right now is. I have perspectives of the way things should be. Mm-hmm. I think in the world we should be, you know, having uh, healthcare for all people. I think we should take care. I think we should do X, Y, Z, right? All of these things. 
I think that we should care about the earth and we should clean up after it and that we should do this and that with our bodies and etc. The list is pretty long. And this idea of what it should be like is my way of trying to control what is. Because what is is just, it is just how it is. And is there a way, the question that has been posed to me in my inner work is, is there a way for me to just be with what is externally without having to have all of my it should be this ways about that? Mm -hmm. Which isn't the same as not caring or being like, I don't give a fuck about what is anymore or, you know, all these problems in the world anymore. It's not the same thing as as collapsing into complacency or, or apathy. But can I be with what is instead of trying to change it through my shoulds you know, and just be with that. If I'm, you know, if I'm 36 now, so I, now I start to have these little lines at the side of my eyes that I didn't have. Can I be with those little lines when I post a picture or do I have to deny what is and, and put like a blurry filter over my face to change how people would perceive me to pretend that I'm not what I am? Like it's just a way to not be with with what is. And so far I've avoided that that temptation but you know I, I think you know as years go by maybe it'll increase but it's just how do we we just see that all over we're abandoning what we are and who we are and what is to try to be something that we think we should be based off of whomever's idea of what mm-hmm. perfect is mm-hmm. or the ideal is so we abandon who we are and and then everybody starts doing it and then everybody's blaming everybody else and very few people are just kind of taking responsibility and, you know, looking at, you could use the the example of what I just said about the filters, you know, or the Photoshopping. It's an easy one to pick on, so I don't want to pick on it too much, but you see it all around. It's the denial of what is. And then you see a crisis with clients I talk to in their 40s and 50s and even early 60s of just like, you know, what am I? Who am I? Who am I supposed to be? And the denial of the process of aging and the denial of the process of stepping into the position of wise woman or elder, you know, how can you claim to be in the position of elder while you're, you know, becoming obsessive about your youthfulness? Yeah, and it's a vicious cycle because the deeper you go into what should the further you get away from what is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that that distance takes a lot of work to overcome Mm -hmm. and it's it's difficult it's not pretty it's definitely not perfect because you have to go through all your imperfections in order to get to what is Mm -hmm. because that's what is yeah, no, it's it just is what it is. And a good example of that that came up this week for me was, you know, I, when I was exploring was I, I have all this sadness and anger around my perspective or my perception that the earth is dying, you know, like that zit, we're in the long, last of the long haul and, you know, we're past the point of return and here we are, our population's increasing and we can't sustain this and the pollution and the lack of water and resources and hunger and it goes on and on and I, was, I just feel so sad and and hurt and grief about all of it and there's this part of me that wants to change the world wants to do my part wants to help and you know receiving the really tough medicine that that helped shift my perspective like was really hard 
But this idea that was presented to me was, well, everything is born and everything dies. And who are you to decide when it should die? Who are you to decide? Who makes you the decision maker of if, in fact, it is that the earth is at the end of her life? You know? Who gave you the authority to decide it should or shouldn't be that way? Yeah. And... You know, of course, again, that doesn't mean I collapse into a puddle and stop doing my part about how I can help to prolong her her life and how I can help to to not be harmful to her. Um, But how can I have a belief that there is like this higher, higher spirit, higher power that governs all things? And then when it's not to my liking of the way it should be, deny the reality of what is happening. You know, and that really put things into perspective. I'm not God. I'm not, I'm not the one to decide how it should be. And I'm one of billions. And, you know. That's just humans. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's, you know, we don't, I don't have the control I wish I had to, to change the world. And, um, deep inside me under my ribs and and um, teacher was saying that this is where it lives for can live for a lot of people is the this is how it should be mm-hmm. so it's interesting you know to even as i'm talking about it, i feel it like tightening down there in my solar plexus like no like almost as if the will center of my body mm-hmm. my solar plexus could will it to be different mm-hmm. And then it's this aspect of my body tightening, me abandoning what is. And instead of being with the sadness of what is and the grief that I feel about what's happening on earth, I abandon that and I go be with how it should be and trying to control it. And then I tighten my body and I use all this effort that I didn't even realize I was using all the time to try to be shooting, you know, my way through this existence rather than, well... This is maybe what it is. And, you know, using that will center to should what you want to be into existence is pushing away from what is for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel. It's sad. I feel sad about it all. And um, the discomfort of how sad I feel about that, about like the idea of our mother dying, it's like it's so uncomfortable that it's easier to go to the will center and be like, well, it shouldn't be that way. It should be this way. Because my body, if I sit with the discomfort, like even as I'm talking about it, will literally like vibrate, speed up, shake, feel grief. And that's really hard to do. Yeah. It's really hard to stay present with it. And if it changes, perhaps that feeling that you're shitting away from might cease. Mm-hmm. But that's a tall order. And you're not God, like you said. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's hard sometimes to be in a position where you believe that there's a certain order to all the things and that there's a rhyme and a reason for the misfortunes and the disparity and, and all of the, the ills that plague our society and um, this sort of patriarchy that we live in that makes it really hard sometimes to think that there's a, a divine hand at play and yet deep down somewhere... You know, I believe or I hope at least that there is. And if I really believe that there is, then got to be with what is. Got to be with what is. Yeah. And what is, you know, 
when you talk about that, um, talk about the fact that the Earth may or may not be dying. Likely, um, it's not in a very good state. I feel really sad about that. Mm-hmm. I'm really scared about that. And I also feel really small mm-hmm. in you know, my ability to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And I could get really big and try to mobilize, you know, a couple dozen people to do what I think is right to alleviate those feelings. And I don't know what the purpose is for all of these billions of humans on Earth right now. Perhaps the purpose is to feel our feelings. Mm-hmm. And there's no bigger thing than the death of the great mother Earth to awaken a lot of really deep personal and ancestral feelings inside of all of us. Well, and just when you said that, I had the image in my mind of like what I'm seeing so much with women and the perpetual pursuit in this area of like youthfulness. It's the same thing. It's the denial of death. Mm-hmm. It's the denial of what is in that capacity. And maybe they're, maybe they're really linked, you know, like if we can't accept the feelings of how we feel about our mother dying, then we act out on our own bodies. The, the drama, the feelings, the, the play that we're in with that relationship. Yeah. The feminine. You see that within sort of more patriarch, traditionally patriarchal structures and, you know, scientists and engineers wanting to be able to upload consciousness into other bodies so that it will live forever, so that you won't die. It's a denial of death. It's a denial of death. Everything is born and everything dies. And the question, you know, that was posed to me was, well, we don't know how long these feelings of sadness about the earth dying, you know, for those of us who are sensitive and a little precognitive and feeling things, could be 10 years, it could be a thousand. We don't know. But how do we feel about it? Is If it's coming up, how do we feel? I mean, it's not hard to see, like you said, with technology and like, well, you'll live forever. Your digital footprint and, and this race to create artificial life coupled with the this sort of pathology, like it's almost like an infection of like in the minds of, in, in Western culture for, for a lot of people, it's just like these Eurocentric standards of youthful beauty that has to stay this way forever at any means, you know, possible just to prevent death or the appearance of death to not be with it. Yeah. I feel so sad when I think about it. And in so doing, if you're trying to perpetuate a certain, um, certain youthful chapter of life, you never progress into Mm -hmm. the greater mystery, the greater maturation of, you know, being a, living human being on this planet you know i'm relatively young you're relatively young and from my experience you know being 31 aging has been a really interesting experience and i like to think that i welcome it it's not easy my body doesn't work the way it used to and it still works pretty damn good and the body isn't the only thing that i need to be measuring 
you know, my success or perfection or lack of perfection on. As I age, I also experience more and more life. More and more, I get, gather more and more wisdom. And I hope I can age so that I can continue. And I hope I can experience the, you know, steady decline that age brings to the point where you have to really come to terms with your own mortality. Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. We can't escape it. We can try, but who's to say that that's not the most important part of being on this planet? Who's to say that's not the most important part of being a human being? And to take that away, assuming you know better, or because you're just so afraid of it, I don't think that really works in the best interest of being a human being. Mm-hmm. It's a part of it. It's a package deal. You get birth, you get life, you get death. Those are the two poles, right? Life and death. And if we can't be with them, then everything in between, we miss it in a way. Mm-hmm. Because you can't be... You have both. I mean, everything that gets born dies. Everything that we so far have been able to perceive in our human existence. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are things out there that don't. I don't know. But from our perspective, it seems to be that way. Yeah, even non-human things, you see it. It's a part of the universe. It's a part of the equation. Suns don't last for last forever. No. Large plants don't last forever. Galaxies don't last forever. Yeah, nothing does. It's like the impermanence. You know, this goes into having been working in the field of yoga for a long time now. Um, this is a question that um, lots of the yogic texts seek to reconcile is what is our relationship to death? And, and you know, ultimately each this this journey building of self-inquiry journey you know it's just building constantly to death to understanding our relationship with death and to accepting one's own death and it's thought that you know you can't really begin living until you um have made a relationship with death and even in my own life there have been many cycles you know having worked with different plant medicines and different forms of healing where you experience death. I've experienced death, uh, the perceived death of myself different times or parts of myself, aspects of myself. And each time that happens, it's really freeing and it's also really intense. It's really challenging. It's, it's, um, it is like some part of me has died. And, and it's always a gateway into the birth of something else. Always, yeah. It's a cycle, and that is a truism that crosses cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely does. And you can't have any of that if you have to be perfect. Yeah, you're kind of stuck. You're stuck if you have to be perfect. There's just no way. And the other thing about being perfect with that is like, as I was you know, having my reflection this week it was one of the questions posed to me was or statements I guess was like as long as you're alive and curious and learning life will continue to teach you and learning is a 
cornerstone of my lived existence. Like I, I love learning so much. Like I'm always wanting to learn things. And it's in this place of learning. If you, like you can't be in a place of learning if you already have to be perfect. Mm. Like if you already have to know the answer, then you can't ever learn anything new. Yeah. You know? It's just like if I want to be in a place of learning, that negates being perfect in and of itself mm-hmm. and projecting the image of perfection. You can't learn when when that's there. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of having to know the answers or be perfectly knowledgeable on something without having to go through the gauntlet of the process of learning. Mm-hmm. And that's the scary part. That's the part where you get shown that you're not perfect. And to kind of anchor yourself down and having it all together already. I get this already. Oh, I already know this. You're not really fooling anyone. And you're really not fooling yourself. And really, you're kind of robbing yourself of the beauty of the acquisition of that new thing. Whether it's a new skill, a um, new way of expressing yourself, um, going to a new place. That's where the beauty is. That's where, for me, the fuel of life is. And... You know, a part of me wants to be perfect. That's very true. A part of me wants to start something and have it already figured out so I don't have to come face to face with the fact that I don't have it figured out. And if I can work with that and through that, that's where the magic of doing a new thing really is. It's so much fun. and it's There's so much life giving life affirming energy there and I'm reminded time and time again and I forget time and time again that it's the act of doing that makes a lot of these things worthwhile if I already have it I didn't have to do it what did did I learn what I experience Mm -hmm. not much no not much at all but the fear of not being perfect, which is so prevalent, is the thing that I think causes people to project that they have it figured out and miss the fun of not having it figured out and mm-hmm. bumping up against the edges of like, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm doing it wrong. I did it. You know, that's scary. Mm-hmm. And there's growth and, and, and experience there. And the privilege, I think, of also being in a position of speaking to things for me it comes from a place of of doing just that of being new of 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 doing it wrong of going through that gateway you're talking about that's the lived experience of something which is so different than projecting the idea of a lived experience of something Mm. Mm. yeah projecting the idea of living through something Projecting the idea of, you know, having gone through this gauntlet of 
acquisition of this certain level of understanding, it's not satisfying. Mm -mm. It kind of misses the point. There's this fine line, right? Like where you have to try. You can't just stay in trainings or stay in acquisition and learning knowledge phase and theory phase forever. You know, and and so like sometimes we're coaching people who are wanting to be coaches or who you know, helping people learn how to work with energy or you know in the yoga school teaching yoga teachers how to people who want to teach to be yoga teachers and there's all these different areas where we're you know working with people and a lot of some of them will just stay in the theory phase and the training phase forever mm-hmm. and not actually go out and take the risk of putting themselves up in front of the class or up in front of their first client or up in front of the you know wherever it is whatever the medium is and actually doing it and what i've noticed is in those instances that phase of learning is often characterized by think the you know thinking that you know more than the other people who are out there making the mistakes yeah thinking that you know more about, you know, and, and you haven't had to, you, know, you can safely from the bleachers, you know, call out what everybody else is doing, mm-hmm. but not having had to like pass through that really challenging phase. As you pass through those really hard things, you rarely look back and call out how other people are doing it because you're like, oh, I remember how hard that was. I want to be mm-hmm. compassionate at this time as people are going through that part. And then there's other people in the trainings who then the day the training's over, they go out and they start and they position themselves as an expert, right? And that's another pull of that of like okay I did one training and now I am a whatever insert title here Mm -hmm. expert blah 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 and I think there's a sweet spot in the middle of like coming out and being like you know I've learned all these things and now I want to try something with them and put them into action and I'm probably going to screw it up and make mistakes I'm definitely going to make mistakes and and you know telling people that like that would be that real vulnerability not crafted vulnerability Mm -hmm. for example i have a client who works with people on body work and she had one day had said you know she just brought forward a a situation where she was feeling nervous with a particular client and i said well why don't you tell them at the beginning of your session like i'm feeling kind of nervous you know because she was feeling she wasn't giving a good, good session to this person and she did and it was the best session she ever had, she said later. Because mm-hmm. she just called it out. Like, I'm just, I'm feeling really nervous. So this was somebody who knew, had been in her industry for much longer than her. So she was feeling really scared about working on them. And then she just said, hey, I'm feeling really nervous about our session. You've done this for so long. I'm just feeling like, oh my gosh, like there's no way I can be helpful. And the person in her like had a chuckle about it. And then it was an amazing session. So like just being in that place of like, I feel scared and I don't know really what I'm doing can unlock the energy I think sometimes and bring us to a place in between I'm stuck in theory and I can't do anything and I'm paralyzed and I'm from the bleachers evaluating everything going on and I just finished my first training now I'm the star of the game it's like we you see like a lot of this like I'm this or I'm this and Mm. then and then like what about that middle place where the real vulnerability exists of trying something new and gaining the experience through failing and through not being perfect and through just humiliating yourself sometimes a little. Yeah, definitely been there. And all the times that I've been humiliated helps me find my center, Mm -hmm. helps me find the balance of, oh, I can't do this, collapsing into, you know, not being... I shouldn't be 
in this position and then there's the opposite of oh I got this I absolutely know 100% what's going to happen and um, I was born to do this either way you're when you start getting out there into the world and putting whatever skill that you've crafted to real work you're going to come up against both sides of those things mm -hmm. and it's through the learned experience of whether it's the humiliation of thinking you got it all and then something goes awry that you can't handle or you know being kind of paralyzed and not actually doing anything and kind of letting the opportunity move on without you it's through those experiences that you learn kind of how to ride the wave of what is mm -hmm. how to find the center you know mm -hmm. it's helped me to in situations where I kind of in, in, in over my head give voice to that and be okay with that because <clears throat> I've been over my head before you know and I can ask for help mm -hmm. however if I hadn't continued on I wouldn't know the tools to come back to center. Mm -hmm. Just like being humiliated. Like mm -hmm. you get humiliated a couple times and you learn how to mitigate the level of humiliation. You learn from what you did wrong. And you incorporate that into your work. You incorporate that into your practice. And that's the, the lived experience. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of when I was at the MatCon retreat and just really loved this thing that he said about like when you're trying something new and you're in that place of like being vulnerable and not having it all figured out and you know it's not going to be perfect but you really know it's time to try it like the universe is pointing you in a direction it's like get out there and do it and he just said well you just paint yourself into a corner and just let god or great spirit you know paint you out mm-hmm and there is something to be said about like trying, knowing you're not perfect, not letting the fear of not being perfect paralyze you, going for it. And every time I've done that, like, yeah, there's definitely been mistakes and consequences along the way. But there is sort of this unseen force once you get going and once you try that helps clear obstacles out of the way that brings obstacles up in the way that will help you do it better next time, mm -hmm. but without compromising, you know, your entire existence that gives you hard lessons, but also teaches you grace. Like mm -hmm. they come up and once you try and put the effort forward, those forces just appear. That's what's happened with me. They just appear and they help. And sometimes the help is really hard. It's not always like, yay, that was helpful. Sometimes it was like, ooh, here's they're going to help by holding up a mirror and showing me an aspect of myself that needs to be seen and tended to and yeah. rubbed out and polished a little. Yeah, and that reminds me of a time when I put myself out there in a kind of a, a, a healing situation and I got rejected. People mm. were like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't really want any help right now. And... As I was going back to where I was, where I was seated, I was like, I actually felt really good. I was like, I, I, sh I showed up and mm -hmm. I got rejected. And I survived. And I survived and here I am rejected and I'm okay. Mm -hmm. and that was a great lesson. You know, it wasn't about actually, you know, what I thought it was going to be about. You know, it what it should be about. What it should be about, you know. You know, enhancing 
you know, a certain level of healing modality or whatever it is. It was about getting getting real with my fear of rejection mm-hmm. and having it right in my face. And I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lessons are sometimes like really in the moment I get this feeling in my gut like, oh, and then later like, well, thank goodness that happened. And we were talking about this the other day where you know, working with lots of people majority of the time it's like it's like pretty pleasant and then every so often of course there's there's a challenge that emerges and I was thinking of one particular exchange that I was having uh, with a, a client that was really challenging me a lot and and I was reminded I just had this like thing sort of come into my my body my field of vision that was like when the student is ready the teacher appears And I've always like thought of that as like, you know, a teacher for me when I'm ready for something or, you know, uh, but what I realized was it's not in the capacity of a teacher that's like necessarily hierarchically, vertically higher than you or the one that the person that you're paying to teach you. For me, the teacher was this client that I was having these challenges emerge with, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they didn't know they were a teacher for me necessarily, but they were showing me different aspects of myself um, and, and bringing up different things for me that needed to be healed and seen and digested that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of, you know, um, on my own. And so then I started to think like, it's just always an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. And if you have to be perfect when you get into those challenges and conflicts, that opportunity is just so robbed of you. Nothing is your teacher anymore. Mm-hmm. You just have to know. You just have to be right. You just have to have the answers. And it's so easy to judge and make other people wrong and bad. And, and defend. And defend. Yeah, rather than, okay, I submit. Like, you know, I surrender to this this teaching that's coming for me right now. If, if you're perfect or already more learned or whatever, then there's just no room for it. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at the time. You know, we haven't mastered the art yet of gracefully ending a podcast. It's just like, okay, that's it. Uh, I think we're done now. <laughs> I think we're done now. I think we're done now. We have to pee, and it's been a, over an hour, and we're kind of hungry and all the things. So um, we're done, and we hope that there was something valuable in this. Um, thanks for listening. If you listened, if we're talking to anyone, it's a good exercise in in us conquering some of our fears of not being perfect and our fears of trying something new. And if you're listening to this in the future, hello from the past. Oh, good one. Yeah, that's a nice ending. <laughs>